Hi, we here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. Now I want to recap on last week quickly. We looked at Ephesians chapter 5 and we're going to finish off with Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. But last week we looked at redeeming the time and what that means. And it means making the most of every opportunity that we get. Or even making opportunities, creating opportunities. Like I prayed this morning for those who maybe have loved ones or, or friends or colleagues that they, they're looking at reaching out to, sharing the gospel with. Be creative about creating opportunity because opportunity isn't always just going to kind of be like an audible voice from heaven, a burning bush or anything like that. But we need to create opportunity and be strategic. The word encourages us to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Now, so there's, a, there's an application to, to be cunning, to be wise, be strategic about bringing the gospel to someone. Serving them with the gospel, but to do it in a, in a loving, caring way, not in a forceful way. But we need to be wise. We need to be uh, strategic about these things because the world is very strategic about what they're giving to us. Like marketing, social media, television. When you go to checkers or through the mall, there's marketing. There's, there's, there's things shouting at you. It's getting your attention to buy into something. And so for us as the church, we need to be strategic because the world is super strategic about what they're getting the world to buy into, what they're getting believers to buy into. So we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're living of a different mindset. And so we need to ask ourselves, how much am I blending into the world versus how much am I standing out? Because God's called us to stand out. Hence, Matthew chapter 5. You don't light a candle and then kind of hide it underneath a table. You put it up on a high surface so it can give light to the whole room. And salt as well. When you throw a whole bunch of salt in the food and even oversalt food, you're going to know when food is oversalted, right? Anyone had oversalted food recently? Nikita raised the hand. Who did you have dinner with? Um, it, would, it would be offensive to someone uh, if she uh, had a meal with someone else and now she's raising her hand having too much salt in the food. The point is this, salt, you know when salt is in food, you know when salt is not in food. We are called to be the light and the salt, to bring change, to be different to the world. And it's not something we need to strive at. It's as we yield to our relationship with God and as we enjoy fellowship with Him, we're going to be different by default. And then we looked at this awesome analogy that Paul wrote about, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's a beautiful analogy because being drunk with wine changes someone. It makes them act differently. The same with being filled with the Spirit, having the Spirit of God in you. It's going to make you look different. It's going to make you act different. It's going to make you respond differently to difficult situations. But then also looking at the awesome analogy, you're only drunk as long as you're drinking and continuing to consume the wine. The same with the Spirit. You're only going to be influenced and led by the Spirit as long as you're allowing Him to feed you. He's always desiring to lead you. But how much are you yielding to and allow, allowing him to take you by the hand and leading you? 
because you always have free will. So that's last week. Uh, I trust that that blessed someone this morning. Just to recap, you can get the teaching on SoundCloud. Like I said, we're going to finish off with Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to jump right to the end. And this is an awesome passage of Scripture, oftentimes read at weddings. Um, and Paul is talking about the topic of marriage, but he's talking about more than marriage, actually. And so we need to study and read the Word of God in context. And remember, like we said, the whole letter of Ephesians, the whole Word of God is about Jesus. You need to start there. If you don't start there, you're going to be confused. You're going to become distracted. You're going to build idols for yourselves. The whole Word of God is about Jesus, pointing to Jesus, revealing Jesus, showing Jesus in the believer and through the believer. And Ephesians, chapter, uh, uh, Ephesians the letter specifically, very much has this amazing breakdown. Chapters 1, 2, 3, identity in Christ. This is who you are in Christ. Are you guys all uh, with me now again? <laughs> Imagine quickly for a moment, Jesus ministering to 5,000 men. That's excluding the women and the children. Imagine that setting of uh, disruptions and opportunity to be distracted. And so uh, whenever you get the opportunity, it's fine if you get distracted, but don't be offended at least. It's fine to be distracted. We're all like kind of figuring things out still and uh, being able to pay attention or not pay attention. But don't become offended when uh, a child bangs on the door here or think that they chased the Holy Spirit out of the room. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work like that. The Holy Spirit stays. He's always with us. Amen. So we need to understand as we're reading this, this letter and in chapter 5, we just came from a build-up and it's talking about the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit and living this out. And then we get into the next few verses and now all of a sudden it seems like Paul is kind of, he's living in one world and he's like, okay, cool, I'm tired of this now. Let's, let's move on to the next topic. He's not moving on to the next topic. He's still illustrating the same topic. It's one letter. It's like a, when you watch a movie, there's one storyline. It doesn't, okay, you get those strange movies that like, they just jump from storyline to storyline. It's super confusing and you're like, What's happening? Like, <laughs> who's this character? How did he get here? Um, generally speaking, you've got a storyline. It's the same storyline and different characters. You've got your main characters, etc. And Paul in this letter, it's the same story. He's communicating the same thing. He's using an illustration of something to convey the same point. And Ephesians 5.32 uh, shows this to us clearly. And so this is the second last verse of the chapter. It says, this mystery is very great, but I speak concerning the relation of Christ and the church. This mystery is very great. And we're going to look at this mystery now and what he's talking about. But I speak concerning the relation of Christ and the church. So what is he talking about? Christ and the church. Now let's look at what he's referring to. Ephesians chapter 5, 21 to 24. And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit your own husbands as unto the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. So what are we talking about? Are we talking about marriage? Or are we talking about the relationship between Christ and the church? Christ and the church, pay very close attention. We often just jump into the Bible and we read something and we're not understanding the context. We're not looking at what is the author trying to communicate, not 
What do I desire him to communicate to me? We love to go to the word and be like, cool, I, 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 need some, I need some money. What does the word say about money? Google, world, money, prosperity. And then we, we, we find things and we, we, we read things out of context. So we like, you go to Jimmy like, man, I just don't, I feel demotivated today. I just need some encouragement. Google, strength or gym scripture. <laughs> Guess what's going to come up? Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amazing scripture, right? Amazingly taken out of context. The word of God taken out of context means nothing. You, 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 you disarm the power of the word by taking it out of its context, by taking it out of its place. The power of the word is found within the context of what scripture you're looking at. And so the power of what Paul is communicating here is found within the context here. And like I said, we, we're looking at the mature Christian life. And yes, we're going to look at marriage and there's an application of marriage. But first and foremost, he's talking about the relationship between every one of us as his bride, as his church and Christ. And let's go back to verse 21. And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's an invitation to each one of us, me to you and you to me, to be mutually submitted to one another. The body of Christ, we are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ together, individually speaking, but also corporately speaking. So there's an invitation to be submitted to one another out of a reverence for Christ. So out of your reverence, out of your respect for Christ and what he accomplished for us, if you truly understand that, it's going to be easy for you to be mutually submitted to your brothers and sisters, to not be in pride, to not be in rebellion. If you're struggling with pride, if you're struggling with rebellion, you don't truly understand the love of Christ and what he came to do for you. And that's fine. We're all growing in this together. Then he goes on and says, for wives, this means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And I'm going to talk about the two references interchangeably. I'm going to talk about the relationship of Christ and the church. And then I'll also look at some of the practical components of what Paul is addressing here. Because in Ephesians 5.33, I just want to read that. So this is after the verse talking about, this is a, talking about the relationship concerning Christ and the church. And verse 33 says, however, let each man of you without exception love his wife. So then he says, so this is talking about Christ and the church. This is the focus, Christ and the church. However. There's also a practical aspect to the husbands, to the wife, and wives to the husbands. So there is the however. So throughout the message this morning, I'll jump in between the two thoughts, but I'll make it clear as to what is communicated. Is it talking about the relationship of Christ and the church? Or is it talking about the practical application of wives to husbands and husbands to wives? You have to also ask the question, if, you, if you're looking at this whole, this whole passage talking about marriage, if you just looked at it, from a natural husbands and wives or wives to husbands point of view, a lot of the church would be missing out. Paul would be wasting a lot of time, a lot of ink and paper, because a lot of people aren't married yet. A lot of people are single. A lot of people will be single for the rest of their lives. And that shouldn't scare you because Christ is your husband. Whether you're male or female, Christ is your husband. Marriage isn't the goal of life. 
Marriage is not the goal of life. As marriage is your goal of life, you're setting a very low standard and you're selling what Jesus did for you very short. And that might be offensive to some of you because you've made marriage the goal of your life. You made having children the goal of your life. And I'm speaking from experience. Yes, I've been married. Yes, I've got children. We've got another son coming up. But I've come to see that that's not the goal of my life. That's not the purpose of my life. When you make that the goal of your life, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. If you're making anything other than Christ in your relationship with him, the goal of your life, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. So let's set Christ and our relationship with him as the, as the key of our lives, as the primary focus of our lives and live out from there. Because marriage is a gift from God. But we shouldn't be idolizing the gifts of God, worshiping the gifts of God more than we worship in God. So we need to put things in its proper place. Okay, so wives, submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord. So again, our submission to one another, whether it's corporately together or whether it's in our marriage, is always in response to an overflow from us submitting to Christ. And first and foremost, reverencing Christ. If you don't reverence Christ, and it's awesome if you go on and reading in Ephesians chapter 6, which comes after chapter 5, which is the same letter, he goes on talking about children submitting to your parents, uh, um, employers submitting to your employers. So he carries on this thought of submission in other seasons of our lives as well. Children to parents, uh, employers, employer, uh, employees to employers. And so the topic of submission is very important in life. And again, if you do not understand Christ's love, what he came to do for you and what it means to yield to and to come under his authority, you're going to rebel in life. You're going to rebel to all forms of submission. And your life isn't going to be that pleasant. It's not a, a prophecy. I'm not speaking death of you. But this is the word of God is about submission. Submission to Christ first and foremost. What does submission mean? Anyone ever looked at the word submission? And it's quite profound. I've just broken up into two words. Submission. Sub, submarine, come under the mission. When we come under the mission of Christ, when we come under the, 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 the purpose and the desire of God and what he desires for the world, it's going to be easy to be led by the Spirit and to follow his leading. And then in our marriages as well, practically speaking, when we have that first and foremost submitted unto the Spirit, unto the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, by default, husband, you're going to love your wife. By default, wife, you're going to respect your husband. It's very, very simple. When you keep the main thing, the main thing. When it's about Christ and receiving from Him and looking at everything from the perspective of our relationship with Christ. Because that is what Paul is communicating here. In proportion and in relation to our uh, relationship with Christ, we get to have healthy marriages. We get to be great employees. We get to be great employers. Verse 23, for husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the body of the church. As the church submits to Christ, so your wives should submit to your husband and everything. As the church submits to Christ, that is all of us, as we submit to Christ. It's again, it's, it's amazing how people look at this writing of Paul, which is full of grace, 
full of in relation to what we receiving from God and overflowing with that. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands, and together to one another. It's amazing how people look at a writing full and full of grace and people go and make it legalism. They're going to make it legalistic. Wives, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Husbands, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Forgetting about all of the in-between writings and the context of what Paul is communicating to, to us. In everything, it's about our relationship to Christ. And understanding that first and foremost and overflowing with that. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so your wives should submit to husbands and everything. Now the awesome thing that I want to just bring out from here as well, and this is talking about the, the Christ relationship, uh, our relationship to Christ that Paul is communicating primarily. Uh, in different settings, all of us are going to be almost have the opportunity to either submit to someone else because of a, a function that they have or a, a place of authority that they've got and then we're going to have opportunity to lead someone else that submitted to us and the thing is like it shouldn't scare us it shouldn't offend us it shouldn't be difficult for us but we're all carnal one third right all of us are carnal one third whether you know that or not one third of you is carnal one third of you is perfect holy spirit one third of you is soulish it's emotional and all of us are growing to be more inclined to the Spirit and more yielded to the Spirit versus yielded to our emotions and our flesh. Your emotions and your flesh doesn't want to submit. Your emotions and your flesh wants to sing the anthem of Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Everyone, everyone wants to do it their way. God's way. I did it my way. I did it my way. Uh, me, 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 I, 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 the anthem of self. But when we come to know the love of Christ for us and we yield to that, we are able to love one another, be submitted to one another, knowing that, man, if this is a, a relationship that Christ is calling me to submit to, it's for my benefit. Wives and husbands being mutually submitted to one another is for the team's benefit. And then when there's a, a stalemate, so to speak, in a, and this is not talking about the practical relationship of, of marriages, when there's a stalemate, so to speak, and a decision needs to be made, a wife can easily say, you go for it, make the decision. And when we leave the setting and someone asks us, cool, I, I saw you guys made that decision. Nadine, why did you make that decision? Then Nadine, as a mature believer, not as a... a I'm putting emphasis on a mature believer because remember, a mature believer is led by the Spirit of God, not led by our emotions or by our flesh. A mature believer's response would be like, oh, Devin and myself made this decision. A carnal believer, a mature believer would respond, oh yeah, this was Devin's decision. You guys see the difference? Maybe Nadine wanted to make another decision in that setting. But when the team made a decision and when Devin made a decision, when they left that setting... It was no longer Devon's decision, it was the team's decision. That is godly submission. That is unity. That is the team. Because marriage is about a team. It's not about the individual. The church of God is about the team. It's not about the individual. Your life is not just about you. It's about every believer that is sitting in this room. One of the things that we're doing now on Christmas is uh, Christmas giving and, and uh, inviting the family to be generous to the family. Throughout the year, we are generous to the family. We're looking for opportunity. If a family is struggling, we're seeing how we can help. 
but also remembering that we aren't the answer to everyone's problems. Jesus is your answer. But as a family, whatever we can do, we want to do, and we want to look how we can support the family and be family to one another in a natural way as well. And so we've invited family, obviously, through this season as well, um, to, to be generous towards families in need and really seeing how we can be more purposeful even to, to provide for and make sure everyone's got a meal on the table, etc., etc. And all of that points again that it's not about me. It's about the family. It's about how can I be a blessing to the family? Now, none of that was on my notes. I trust that that blessed someone. Okay, let's jump down to Ephesians 5.25. And there's a whole lot that we can get into here that we're not going to get into because I just want to focus on some of the key key components. But again, just wrapping up the, the topic of submission. Submission is being surrendered to the mission. Not my mission, not your mission, but Christ's mission. And what is Christ's mission at its core? We see in the Gospels that the disciples kind of uh, argued about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to be on the left hand, who's going to be on the right hand of Jesus. And then Jesus said, hey guys, you're missing the point. I did not come to be served, but to serve. So if you're looking to be served, you're not asking the right questions and you're not operating from the Spirit of God within you. But if you're looking to serve, you're operating from and yielding to the Spirit of God in you because His Spirit is a Spirit of serving others, loving others. And when you are inclined to that, guess what? Your marriage is going to be blessed because you're looking how you can serve your spouse. But more so than that, like I said, the topic here is the relationship of Christ and His church. Each one of us, we can ask the question, whether you're married to the person sitting next to you, whether you're not, whether you're single, it doesn't matter. You get an opportunity as the bride of Christ to serve your fellow believers. And you should see it as a privilege. If you see it as a burden, if you see it as a task, allow Christ to love you and to show you that it's not a burden, it's not a task. It's a privilege. Ephesians 5.25 And to the husbands, you are to demonstrate love for your wives with the same tender devotion that Christ demonstrated to us, his bride. Christ demonstrated something to us. It was radical. He didn't propose with the ring. He proposed with his life. He proposed to you. He didn't go down on a knee. He put his body on a cross. That's radical. That was his proposal to each one of us. And you get to say yes to that proposal, proposal and enjoy the best husband of all time. And as you receive that, you are able to give that. Because you cannot give someone something you do not have. You can only give away one million rand if there's actually one million rand in your bank account. Or if the bank would allow you to, to, to have that uh, form of credit. Uh, please don't give and be generous from your credit, guys. Don't, don't uh, accumulate credit and do generosity from that. That's not wisdom. That's not godly wisdom. For he died for us, sacrificing himself to make us holy and pure. So who made us holy and pure? Our good works? No, Christ made us holy and pure, cleansing us through the showering of the pure water of the word. We'll come now to um, this picture of water and the word of God in a moment. 27. All that he does in us is designed to make us mature church for his pleasure. 
until we become a source of praise to Him, glorious and radiant, beautiful and holy, without fault or flaw. Verse 26, to make us holy and pure. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, we'll jump to out of Ephesians for a moment. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 from the Passion says, for God made the only, or for God made the only one who did not know sin, talking about Jesus, God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us, so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with Him. God made Jesus. He knew no sin. There was no sin in Him. He made him to become sin for us so that in order to accomplish something, what is that? So that we might be made, not become in the sense of working for, but through faith in Christ, so we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ through our union with him. If you've received Christ, you are in union with him. You are in perfect union, perfect fellowship with him. You are perfectly righteous as he is righteous. And that is difficult for a religious person to understand, for someone who's uh, been all about legalism their whole life, working, thinking, I need to perform for God. It's a circus. I need to get onto the platform. I need to do X, Y, and Z. No, it's a family. It's not a circus. And we need to understand this. It's not by our works that we are made righteous. Because if you think that it's by your works, you'll also think that it's by your works that you are made unrighteous. And you could not make yourself righteous. And as much as you could not make yourself righteous, as much as you could not make yourself holy, as much as you could not make yourself pure, in the same very way, you cannot make yourself unpure. You cannot make yourself unrighteous. You cannot make yourself unholy. Because it's the miracle work of God when you receive the Spirit of God that you are made righteous and holy. And that is something to celebrate. That's something that the world needs to know. That the world needs to hear. That this is God's design for His Spirit to live in us. And it's a free gift that we all get to receive. What makes us holy? What makes us pure? What gives us the right to stand in God's presence without fear? That's a good question to ask. What gives me boldness and confidence to stand in God's presence without fear? When Jesus re reappears. It's His Spirit living in us. John 7, 37 to 39 says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Say living water. Verse 39, But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost, was not yet given, because... Jesus was not yet glorified. Talking about Jesus hasn't yet died. Jesus hasn't yet been resurrected from the dead and poured out his spirit. Now, why am I looking at this specific reference? Because again, verse 26, he's talking about showering or cleansing us through the showering of the pure water of the word of God. Pure water is in reference to the Holy Spirit being poured out for us. The water of God, the spirit of God, which is also the word of God, because the spirit of God and the word of God is one and the same thing. In Ephesians chapter 6, later on, we read about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's the same thing. Now, why is this important? And selflessness, I look at someone else that is maybe in need, and I'll be like, 
man, I've got an abundance. I've got a surplus. How can I help that person? And that is what the church of Acts experienced. They're like, man, I'm a millionaire. There's someone who's barely scraping through. I'm going to sell all of my possessions so that us as a community can live in unity together and take care of one another. Now, that's a challenging thought for some of you because you're hoarding for yourselves up treasures here on earth. And what does Matthew 6 say? All of those things will corrupt. It will be destroyed. None of it you'll take into heaven one day. And the invitation is to lay out for ourselves treasures in heaven. What is that talking about? It's not talking about investing into shares that has got some heaven, uh, what do you call it? Heaven cryptocurrency. That's not what it's talking about. <laughs> it's talking about people. It's talking about investing into people. Having your life impact the people around you so that they can be impacted into eternity. Because we are members, verse 30, we are members part of his body for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so again this is talking about christ and the church and jesus left so to speak father and mother to be joined to us he left everything behind to be joined with us to be in relationship with us now the words leave and cleave we'll we'll look at this a little bit quickly for a moment Verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now, there's an application to, to the natural, to the practical of, of marriage. And we're not going to get into that as much as we want to focus on the relationship between Christ and his church. Because this is beautiful. Like I said, Jesus left everything. He left father and mother, so to speak, to come and be joined unto his bride. Me and you. Now, it's very important for us to leave behind the old nature. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says that for those who are in Christ have become new creations, new creatures. Paul says, I strive at looking before me, forgetting all things of the past, everything that's behind me. It's important to leave behind, forget about your past, forget about your old sinful nature. Stop reminding yourself of your past because we cannot be joined to Christ fully. And this is not talking about a spiritual sense. It's talking about our emotional and the natural uh, or the, the, the carnal side of us. We cannot fully experience the, the truth of the spirit that we are joined to Christ, we cannot be separated from him. But we're not experiencing that to its fullness when we are holding on to our past, when we're still seeing ourselves as sinners, when we're still seeing ourselves with a sinful nature. It's counterproductive. And so we need to leave behind, so to speak, the natural to embrace the spiritual, our oneness with Christ, because we are one with Him. As a husband and wife becomes one, we too become one with Christ through a leaving and a being a joining or cleaving together. And the awesome thing with the word cleaving actually is the same illustration that Jesus talks about in, in John chapter 15, where he talks about, I'm the vine, you are the vineyard. And he talks about abide to me. That word cleaving is abiding. So it's emphasizing this continual reminding of this oneness that we have, this togetherness that we have. It's being purposeful about setting your mind on how one I am with Christ, setting your mind on the love of Christ for me. 
It's continual. It's not just a one-off thing, I'm abiding to Christ. It's a continual invitation in our lives to be focused on and to enjoy Him and our oneness with Him. This is what Paul is writing about in these last verses. And then verse 32, this mystery is very great, but I speak concerning the relation of Christ and the church. However, let each man of you, without exception, love his wife as being in a sense his very own self. And let the wife see that she respects and reverences her husband, that she notices him, regards him, honors him, prefers him, venerates and esteems him, and that she defers to him, praises him and loves him and admires him exceedingly. It's funny how the the wife, the, the, the man is called to let each man of you love his wife as being his very own self. And then the wife's part in brackets, there's just this long explanation. <laughs> it's because guys, we just need a lot of TLC. We just like, women, we, we, I'm, I'm super thankful for my wife. I'm just making a joke now, but it's important to understand. And there's a, there's a practical component here. When, when Paul is instructing in inviting the husbands to love their wives and when he's inviting the, the, the wives to, to respect their husbands. There's a very practical application to this. For, uh, he, was, he was encouraging. And remember, the awesome thing is the right of all of this was never married. It is writing profound truths about marriage. But remember, it's first and foremost our relationship to Christ. And then from there, there's practical encouragement about marriage. But this just shows again how Paul understood things about, about marriage without even being married. And he could enjoy things about even in his relationship with God that he didn't need to be married. And this is something you need to settle in your heart. Paul enjoyed his relationship and the marriage that he had with Christ as his bride and Christ being his husband without being married. Paul wrote about children and the relationship that we have with, with, with God and as sons to God, yet he never was a father. Why am I saying this? Because again, some of us have made marriage the idol and saying, one day when I'm married, then I'm going to have a better understanding of my relationship with Christ. One day when I have kids, I'm going to have a better understanding of how I'm a child of God. No, that is thinking about things in a carnal way. If Paul could experience his sonship with God and fatherhood with God without ever being a father, so can you. And that might offend some of you. But Paul wasn't this, 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 this kind of this special guy. All of us are special. All of us are God's chosen children, his sons and daughters. Paul had a special mission maybe of communicating these things, but in and of himself, he was the same human being that each one of us is with the Spirit of God in us. Amen. I trust that that blessed someone. And if it offended you, then I trust that you'll get over yourself very quickly. Okay, we're coming to a close. So coming back to the invitation of, of husbands loving their wives, it's easy for, it's, it comes easier for husbands to be respectful towards their wives than it is to practically show love to their wives. So Paul was instructing each party to focus on maybe in some senses their, their weakness. For wives, 
for whatever reason, it's more difficult for you to show respect in the way that the husband would like, show your respect to them. And so the question is this, whether you husband, whether your wife, I'm going to talk about the marriage relationship practically, then I'm going to bring it back to our relationship with Christ and with one another. The question is this, as a husband or as a wife, how can I minister to my wife? How can I love my wife? Not in a way that I would love myself, but in a way that she would receive my love. And how, wives, the same question. How can I show respect to my husband? Not in the way that I would be respected, but in the way that he would receive respect. And now in our relationship to one another, the question is very simple. And it all boils down to the same thing. The love of Christ in you, receiving from him, and selflessly seeking to be a blessing to the others, the people around you. That is the message of the Bible. Christ in us and Christ through us. That's God's desire from the beginning of time. 1 Timothy 2.4 For all to be saved, all to come to knowledge of the truth. Salvation in Christ, having a spirit in you, and now maturing in that. That's knowledge, coming to the knowledge of the truth. Amen. Like I said, marriage between husband and wife isn't the ultimate goal of life. Marriage to Christ and growing in that is. Our oneness with Christ and growing in that. That should be our ultimate goal in life. Submission is an invitation. It's for our benefit. Everything that we see in the word of God, however difficult it might sound, however challenging it might be, if there's an instruction, firstly, we need to understand it's an invitation. It's not a law. Grace is always inviting in. The law is forcing someone in. So every invitation that we see in the word of God, however challenging it may be, we need to understand it's for our benefit and we've been empowered to do so. When we understand those two things, it would be easier to yield to and kind of lean in, so to speak. As we submit to Christ and you team will be more easily submitted to one another. So first and foremost, in our relationship with Christ, as we submit to him and we yield to his spirit in us, it will be more easier for us to just be submitted to one another, to be open to receive from one another, to be instructed by one another, to receive even correction from one another. But it's always going to come from a place of love, respect, and honor. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at gracelife.co. If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube.